Welcome to the sermon podcast feed of Liberty Church Collingswood, where we want to live, speak, and serve as the very presence of Jesus in Collingswood and surrounding boroughs, or wherever God has placed you. Find us at libertycollingswood.org. Part of our mission is preaching sermons, so here you go. Keep in mind that these messages are designed to bring the timeless message of Jesus to bear in specific contexts to specific people, the whole eternal word, changing worlds thing. Would you hear good news here? Bon appetit. Hear the living God speak to you this morning through his living word. And he, Jesus, said to them, is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? For nothing is hidden except to be made manifest, nor is anything secret except to come to light. If anyone has ears, let him hear. And he said to them, pay attention to what you hear. With the measure you use, it will be measured to you, and still more will be added to you. For to the one who has, more will be given, and from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, What can we compare the kingdom of God, or what parable shall we use for it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, which, when sown on the ground, is the smallest of all the seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants, and puts out large branches, so the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. With many such parables he spoke the word to them, as they were able to hear it. He did not speak to them without a parable, but privately to his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Pray with me. Father, I pray uh, as we, as I teach your word, teach about these, these parables specifically, reflect more on the gospel of Mark as a whole, reflect even more widely on who Jesus is and what his kingdom is. Um, I ask that you would have mercy upon me, that, you'd, uh, that the, the words of mine which are true, um, that they would be delivered with in such a way that those who need to hear them would hear them, and they would walk out of this room knowing more how they can follow this Jesus, how they can live in line with this kingdom. And with that, also pray, I pray whatever in my, my, my sermon is not helpful, not of you, that it will be forgotten. And I pray that, uh, that your Holy Spirit would uh, lighten our hearts. Have mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, at the uh, beginning of the Gospel of Mark in chapter 1, uh, there's uh, this, this story about um, how a, a leper, who's someone who had a skin disease uh, and would have been considered ceremonially unclean, according to the Old Testament, a uh, leper comes to Jesus, and the leper um, says to, to Jesus, um, he, he asks Jesus, if you will, like, please cleanse me. And Jesus, in his mercy, he looks, he looks at the leper and he says, I will be clean. And he reaches out and he touches. Remember, le- lepers, they're, they're not someone you're supposed to touch. Jesus, the text tells us Jesus reaches out in Mark chapter 1. He touches this man and his, his skin is cleansed. He's, he's healed. And then, right after that, Jesus st- says something. He does something that if we were writing this story ourselves, we wouldn't have put down. Which is that the, the text tells us this, that Jesus sternly charged this man 
not to say anything to anyone about it. Like, and another point in the Gospel of Mark, uh, Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? Who do you think I am? And uh, the, the most eager beaver of the, of the disciples, Peter, jumps up and, and is like, you are, you are the Christ. You know, you're, you're, the, you're the Messiah. And Jesus is like, yes. And then what does Jesus say? He, he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. Even more tantalizing. In Mark chapter 15, so beginning of Mark, middle of Mark, end of Mark, uh, this is this, which is the second gospel, the second book in our New Testament. Uh, Jesus is before Pontius Pilate, the big, you know, he's, who's the, the Roman governor of the region of Judea. He's, you know, he's the stand-in, he's the, the guy who's the face of all the oppressors, the oppressor cloud, the, the evil empire that's ruling over them. And Pilate asks Jesus, he's like, it be, you know, behind closed doors and not out of the crowd where everyone's chanting for Jesus to be crucified. Uh, he, he looks at Jesus and he says, are, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus responds, he says, you have said so. Which is a really confusing response. And I don't understand what Jesus was saying necessarily there. And Pilate didn't understand either. So he asked a follow-up question and he's like, but do you have any responses to all these charges being brought against you? And Jesus is silent in response. Jesus, throughout the Gospel of Mark, and the example from the beginning, middle, and end, he's, uh, he's secretive, he's silent, he's indirect. There are some exceptions to this, uh, but uh, scholars over the years, have they've called the, this problem, particularly in the Gospel of Mark, but we see it throughout um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, less so in John, but is that they call the messianic secret, that there's something about like Jesus where he, he wants to almost conceal who he is. And they like scholars, like they puzzle, like why, what's going, what's going on here? What's up with this, this guy? Uh, I'm going to argue with you this morning that a reason Jesus is like this, um, we can, we can, I think we can read it through the lens of these parables that he gives in this, in this passage we read today. Uh, Jesus his kingdom, it's slow and it's small. And I'll talk about those two points in depth through these, looking at these parables. Jesus' kingdom is indirect. It's subversive. Small and slow is God's MO. So a few of you laughed. Thank you. Um, so let's, let's talk about the, those, the, these two points. Slow, I'll talk about slow first and then small. I'm going to kind of go out of order with this passage. So first off, the kingdom of God is slow. Look with me again, um, starting in verse 26 in the middle of our passage. And Jesus said, said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. When the grain is ripe, at once he puts in a sickle because the harvest has come. Jesus loves to draw his stories, his images from the, uh, from the agricultural world. And I would wager that there are zero to very few farmers in this room. Uh, there, there may be some, I bet there are some gardeners in this room. Um, but uh, there, I'm certainly not, not a farmer. But you, we don't need to be a farmer, I think, to get what the, the, this image is, what, what Jesus is trying to say. There's something slow and kind of miraculous even about the growth of a plant. Uh, I don't know if you guys did this 
uh, when you were in grade school. I, remember, I think it was in first or second grade. There was this school project where every student in the class was given just like a little, a little clay pot filled with soil. And, you know, it's like this big project one day where you like dig it in, plant it, and you're watering it every day. And, uh, you know, maybe like, I, I remember like being, I remember like the other guys in my class, there's like a competition where like whose plant could be the best and the biggest. Uh, but I remember like you run into to your class every morning and you look at the plant and it's just dirt day after day after day. And it, you begin to like, like the, I remember first second grade, like kind of losing interest in the, the activity. But then, but then. After a weekend or going in one morning during the week, you go in and all of a sudden, this tiny green sprout has started to come out of the, the dirt that you've just seen week in and week out. The growth of a plant, it's slow, but it's astounding. It's astounding. And so it is with the kingdom of heaven. So it is with the ministry of Jesus throughout the gospel of Mark. Uh, we... The Mark 1, 1, listen to this. Mark chapter 1, verse 1, the first line, it has like this booming first line. It says, beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. He's given, there are two titles, two Jesus, two titles are given there. That he's uh, the Christ, which is the Messiah, which his, uh, the disciple Peter understands that Jesus is that about midway through the gospel. Um, and then the second title is that he's the Son of God. Um, but Jesus, like you begin to see as you read on in Mark, that no one gets who Jesus is according to chapter 1, verse 1, as, as the narrative unfolds. Listen to this. The first, who is the first human being who confesses that Jesus is the Son of God in the Gospel of Mark? Um, there are demons who know that he's the Son of God. It's not his family. It's not a scribe or a Pharisee who knows the law really well. It's not a person in the crowds. It's definitely not one of his disciples who seem to get things less and less as the gospel goes on. The first person to realize who Jesus is, according to chapter 1, verse 1, that he's the son of God, is a, is a Roman centurion who just saw him die on the cross. It's at the moment of his death that a centurion says, truly, this man was a son, is, is a son of God. By all measurements, then, if Jesus' goal in the Gospel of Mark was to communicate who he was, then he failed. He was too slow. It's like the dirt in the plant. Dirt. Jesus' death. People don't know who he is. But, like the plant again. Jesus' death, it's like a seed that's planted in the ground. And with his resurrection... The beginning of this, this, this life, this plant begins to come forth. And slowly, where there is only ground, there is only dirt, the plant of the church begins to grow and grow. It's slow but astounding. This is how the kingdom of God works. And such, by the way, is God's MO his, um, in, in our lives, too. This is how he works in our lives, too. I would guess here, for those of you here who would call yourselves Christians, um, who, who seek to follow Jesus, there, there are probably a few of us in this room who have dramatic stories of coming to faith, dramatic conversion stories. You know, you were going one way and something big dramatic happened or a big dramatic conversation happened and you God turned you and you started going the other way. Some of us have those stories. Not most of us, but some of us do. Um, but I would wait a lot 
um, that none of us in here seeking to follow Jesus, none of us have dramatic stories about growing in Christ. It doesn't happen that way. Okay, consider these questions to like flesh this out a bit more. If I were to ask you, you who seek to follow Christ, if I were to ask you, hey, so how have you, uh, how have you grown in Christ over this past week? How have you been sanctified over this past week? Uh, it's like, uh, I guess I had, maybe I had a good prayer time on Wednesday. Are you like, it, asking that, that question in that, according to that time frame, it's like, oh, geez, I don't know. Consider this question instead. How have you grown in Christ over the past five years? Do you see how, like, as you consider the answer to that question, face-to-face with the answer to the first question, do you see how God's timeline is different than ours? How the timeline of the kingdom is different than ours? Um, this, this, this slowness of the kingdom it's also, it's also, by the way, this is, this is why, like, Christian, like, if you want to lead in the church, the qualification for leading in the church, it's not expertise, it's not charisma, uh, it's, it's character. Because character has to be cultivated, which, by the way, cultivated, that's a garden word, that's another agricultural word. Um, the, all the places where we see in the Bible to, to be an elder, to be a deacon, is you have to have, be a man, you have to be a man, of, a woman of high character, um, and this, for me personally, this is kind of like a selling point for me, like um, in the Bible that the qualifications for leadership are not expertise, not being flashy, not being beautiful, uh, not having a platform. Like that's how, that, those are the qualifications for leadership in so many things outside of these walls. And we see it go, we see it go awry. We also see it go awry in the church. Um, but that's something that, that I find like attractive. Like if, if you're here and you're not a Christian, like don't you want to be part of like a, a movement, a social movement that raises up leaders in such a way where it's about like the slow cultivation of character over time instead of just like whoever's like the coolest, smartest looking person in the room? Um, church should be a place where we don't, we're like growing in the faith. Like it shouldn't be a microwave process, but a crockpot process. And, um, and don't like... It, it's just so refreshingly, it, it ought to be. It isn't always, tragically. It's, it should, like, isn't it so refreshing? That sounds so refreshingly different from, like, the world of celebrity, the world of politics. Um, like, and also, like, don't you want to be at a place? Like, you here who are, who are maybe, like, investigating the, investigating the faith, maybe you're, like, suspicious about the church. Like, don't you want to be part of a place where, where you're led by people who have a long view of your life, of your development, who care not just about like you making, you being the right person right now, but have like a view of like who you're going to be like in five years, in 10 years. I think that the, the, the slowness of the, but astoundingness, not a word, of the, of the kingdom orients us in such a way. The, God, the kingdom is, is slow, but astounding. Second off, the kingdom is small. Look with me again at starting in verse 30. And Jesus said, with what can we compare the kingdom of God or what parable shall we use for it? It's like a grain of mustard seed when sown on the ground is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and puts out large branches so that the birds of the air can make nests in its shade. Um, I, if you've heard the, like, heard, read the Gospels before, You've heard this image. When, I, when I've heard this images in the past, like imagining what a mustard 
tree would be like where birds are finding nests in its shade. I've always imagined it kind of being like a redwood tree. Uh, I've driven past like the redwood forest in California like briefly one time. It was the only time I was ever driving and it was like, oh, like had to like look out the window. It's a really dramatic, beautiful sight. That's kind of how I imagined what the image Jesus is painting here. Uh, but it's actually, that's actually not it. He, he, he uses a mustard seed. Um, a, a mustard seed is, uh, it, a mustard seed, it grows into like actually more of a shrub. It only gets it to be about like six feet tall, which is as tall as I am, maybe a few feet taller. Um, here's, why, why mustard seed? Um, certainly because mustard seeds are really small. He draws attention to that in the, the passage. But there are also other really small seeds he could have used. Like, why a mustard seed? Um, here's a, a quote from a, this was a, a guy writing in the first century, so around the time of Jesus. He wrote, wrote a book about um, plants and animals, a book on natural history. He wrote this about mustard. He said, Mustard, with its pungent taste and fiery effect, grows entirely wild. Once sown, it is scarcely possible to get the place free of it. Uh, one, com uh, one commentator on this passage, looking at that quote, looking at this, this image, he tried to imagine this in like the most yeah, nerdy academic voice possible. Uh, he says, it's hard to escape the conclusion that Jesus deliberately likens the rule of God to a weed. Mustard's like a weed, a smelly weed. Jesus' kingdom, it starts small, the smallness of a mustard seed but it takes over the whole garden. It's wild, it's small, but wild. Uh, so it is in the ministry of Jesus and in the early church. Uh, if you start measuring how big Jesus' ministry was, it's teeny tiny. Jesus' minute is, is in his public ministry is for three years, which this church, your guys' church has been around three times as long as Jesus' public ministry. And this is, you guys, this is, you know, Liberty Collingswood, my church has been around a little bit longer than you guys. Like we're not old churches. We've been around many times longer than Jesus' public ministry. Perhaps a few thousand people are affected by his ministry, heard him talk, were healed by him, saw him in the crowds. He was in a tiny provincial corner of the Roman Empire. And, but ultimately, when it counted, when he was arrested and killed, Jesus was pretty much alone. The people who, who he had trusted, his friends, they betrayed him or they abandoned him. Jesus' body is like the mustard seed. The small, the small seed alone that's buried in the ground. But with his resurrection, with his, with his rising up, like the plant, the mustard plant starts to slowly overtake the garden. And we see this particularly in the, in the book of Acts, describing the early church. Like, in the face of disincentives and persecution, in the Bible we see that the church grows bit by bit. From a, they start off with just a few huddled people in like a room probably the size of a studio apartment, scared to like around 300 years later conservatively like 10 percent of the whole roman empire uh, was part of the church and even the roman emperor himself converted to christianity this small oddball little weed had overtaken the whole garden small but wild and such by the way this is how god this is god's demo in our own lives too um, smallness is how God works. Uh, hear this. At the end of the day, smallness, your smallness, is the most important prerequisite to God using you, to you growing in your faith, 
to you drawing nearer to him is you knowing your smallness. Here, this, this is from the book of 1 Corinthians. This is Paul writing to a small church, a dysfunctional church. I, I came out here with a couple guys and we were talking about just how dysfunctional the Corinthian church was on, on the car ride. Um, Paul writes th- this to this church and also the Corinthian church who Paul writes to with this. They were a church that was really obsessed with being beautiful and being charismatic and being wealthy. This is what Paul writes to them. He says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. This is the way of the kingdom. God chooses what is small in the world to put to shame the things that are big. What does this mean? This means that there is not one person in this room, man, woman, child, I don't care how old you are, don't care how smart you are, don't care how strong you are. There is not one person in this room who is too small to be used by God in wild, overtaking the garden sorts of ways. Do you believe that about God? Do you believe that about yourself? Better question. Do you believe that about the person sitting next to you in the pews? It's worth saying that like our, our world, we don't really like it, particularly think of the culture I come from, like middle, upper middle class, white America, like our world, like my world I come from, doesn't really like small and slow. Like one of my favorite things to eat if I'm eating out is to eat a Chipotle burrito. Is there anything that is more the opposite of small and slow than a Chipotle burrito? Or consider our, our entertainment options. Is there anything that is more the opposite of small and slow than the NFL, where it's like all of these, these guys are as big as trains, like ramming into each other and plays that take place over like three to 10 seconds. Like it's, they, we just don't like small and slow. It, but even deeper than that, think about our, 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 in our cultural moment. Who are the sources that we trust? when we're making important decisions in our lives about nutrition or about parenting or about psychology or about our health or about politics, who do we trust? We trust big name experts who offer hot takes and quick fixes. We don't live in the age of, of uh, sola scriptura. We live in the age of sola experta, experts the big name folks who we can trust to give us a quick list, a quick listicle, a, a list, a, a list, an article that they can send to us um, that will make, that will, that will clear out our problems. That will give us, we're one listicle away from the promised land from ease and certainty. And Jesus is incredibly frustrating because he doesn't offer quick fixes. He sometimes offers hot takes, like he's very quotable, but not in the same kind of way. Jesus instead says stuff like this. He says, enter by the narrow gate, for the way is easy, and for the path is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who find it are many. But the way is hard, the, the path is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Very different. 
Um, and it, zooming in even from our culture to like us as a, as a, as a church, like thinking about, about the, the church I come from, and I would wager you guys have some similarities to, to our church. Like I think in our church, the, the, I think we like small. You know, we like being, being in the, like the accessibility of being in a small group of people and being known and knowing others. We like small. But I think, I think at Liberty, I think we really don't like slow. Uh, we, my, my great example of that is, uh, if, if you guys have been around the church for a while, you, you may remember, it's like pre-pandemic time, like a, a big outreach that our church uh, network would do around Easter is we call it Easter outreach, where we would package up meals um, and deliver them to our neighbors. And one of the things that we would have to do for Easter outreach every year is we would have to get everything into like one room where it would then be, we'd have a packing night where all the volunteers would come out and they would form like assembly lines and pack things in boxes and walk along, tape it and shut it, leave it and put the box against the wall to be, to be given to neighbors the following day or the following week. And uh, I realized this whole, this very striking thing about uh, whenever we would do Easter outreach packing nights at Liberty River Wards, uh, which is that within like five to 10 minutes, it became very clear that every single person who was there uh, was an operations engineer and uh, had, had like very strong opinions about ways that we could be speeding this thing up. Like this, this process, these assembly, and I, I, am, I was so guilty. I was guilty of this before I was on staff. I was guilty of this when I was on staff and not the one in charge and then realized it when I was the staff and the one in charge. Um, and where everyone had these, these like people, some people come and be like, well, we tell me like, well, we should do this differently. So that way we can save, instead of it being a 45 minute event, it can be a 35 minute event. Um, or some people would just change it. They just changed the way it was going. Or some people would be stewing on the inside and you could see in their faces where they're like, this is just so inefficient and so awful, but I'll do it. Um, I think we rage against slow. And I think some of the things that we seek in the, the life of the church reveal that. I think we, 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 we ask questions like, what's the program? What's the training that we're missing that will yield the fullest and fastest results? What are the on-ramps? What's the data we need to implement the fullest and fastest, most efficient solution? How can we be fully trained in loving our neighbors so we don't have to risk discomfort in getting to know them? If programs are fine and good, but sometimes I wonder if, if our, our, our yearning for them so much comes from how we just rage against the slowness and the discomfort of the kingdom of God. Um, by saying that the kingdom is slow and small, Jesus is also saying that it's not programmatic, it's not procedural, it's not formulaic. Um, the lead pastor at our church, uh, uh, John Alexander, puts it this way, the kingdom of God is a garden, not a machine. We can't follow Jesus without discomfort, risk, and setbacks, without having to be patient. And to have a kingdom mindset is to expect these things. Let me flesh this out for you guys. What does it mean for us to have a slow and small kingdom mindset? Having a, to have a kingdom mindset is to expect that God will give you, give us breakthroughs in like our prayer life. Not over the course of like through one clever solution that you implement immediately, but over the course of years, not hours. To have a kingdom mindset I think this is a really important one right now in this, this time of our year. To have a kingdom mindset um, is to expect that God will develop community for you in this church or in friendships outside this church. That God will develop community not through instant, easy friendships, but through showing up like week after week after week. And I, like, this is a really important thing for everyone, for us all to remember as we begin up home meetings again in a new way this season. Like, so much of home meetings is it's just like the battle of just showing up 
every week. I don't know if you guys feel that. I have, you know, me with two small kids, it's like every week is a battle. There are always good reasons not to be there. Um, it's a slow and small process. But then in our, in our home meeting, like when a family member of one of the group members gets cancer, all of a sudden you realize how much you desperately depend on one another. And the slow and small cultivation of community begins to make a lot of sense. To have a kingdom mindset is to, is, to think, is to trust that God will bless others in our lives who we're seeking to love, not through your like one dramatic act of kindness in Jesus' name, but through a patient faithfulness over time. And that also God will bless you along the same sort of timeline. Parenting is an amazing example of this. Everyone, parents in the room, um, like the ways that God's going to bless our kids is through us, you know, being there for them on our worst days over and over and over again. The slowness and the smallness of the kingdom of heaven. This means that like blessed is the dad who never stops starting family devotions. Um, blessed, blessed is the mom who does, who like helps out with, who does bedtime every night. Oh, what a labor of love day in and day out. Small and slow, kingdom of heaven work, bedtime every night. Blessed is the neighbor who remembers other neighbors' birthdays or remembers other neighbors' names and just greets them every time she sees them. Blessed is the friend who gets in a fight about politics with another close friend where there's real legitimate disagreement, but calls the, the friend the week after just to check on how they're doing and sticks to the friendship. Uh, blessed is the, the teenager who tries like respectfully to follow her parents' rules, even though the rules just seem so dumb, so out of touch. She faithfully seeks to honor her parents. Blessed is the grandmother who prays for her wayward children, who, who, who checks in on how her children are doing when she can, um, even at the risk of sounding cheesy and sounding like a nag, like is really interested in how they're doing and checks in frequently, not to just offload how she's doing, but to, to hear how her kids and grandkids are doing. Slow and small. This is how Jesus loves us, by the way. He's the Savior who's not just there for a photo op. He doesn't save you just so he look, can look really cool or flashy in the eyes of the world. But he's the, the kind of Savior who's there for you at the moment when you need him. Um, and which is often the time where you realize you don't deserve him at all. Um, gee, th this is... This is, how, this is how I understand Jesus, how Jesus is enigmatic in the Gospel of Mark. And this, um, Jesus' ministry, there's a way that it's secret, but only to a point. And we saw this in the first few verses, in, in verses 21 through 25. Jesus talks about how this kingdom, and I think we see this, like, it's with, with the small and slow building up of the kingdom, like, it's something that ultimately is meant to be revealed. It's not ultimately secretive. And we can see this in, like, the lives of people whom we love, whom we respect, where it's like, they... Things are revealed over the course of time as things that they've done that have left a huge impact that weren't big, not big, not flashy. But what was hidden, the, the ways that they were laboring in private, praying, loving, day in, day out, these things eventually are brought to light. And we believe that ultimately in the fullness of time, Jesus will come back and all these things, his kingdom will be revealed. Um, what, about, so what about these confusing verses? Look with me, um, about, particularly verse 25. 
Jesus says, For to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. What is, what is Jesus getting at here, these haves and the have-nots? Um, it, it's, kind of, it's, it's quotable, but, but confusing. Um, Jesus, he uses the, the medium of parables to tell a lot of his stories and, or to, to try to teach folks stuff. And, and that he, there's this incredibly offensive thing about parables that Jesus, he quotes the, God, the, the prophet Isaiah to make this point that there's something about the nature of a parable that in the telling of it, folks who are set against Jesus, whose hearts are hard, their hearts are hardened by the medium of a parable. But those who are ready to hear, they're drawn in by it. There's something about the medium of a parable that does that, and that's why Jesus uses them. Can you see how a kingdom like this, that's slow and small, could have the same kind of effect on people? Um, that those in our wider world, those in this room, those of us who are set um, on... The, the biggest, the most beautiful, the most intelligent, like, if we are, are, if our hearts are enraptured by those things, like, this kind of kingdom will, like, be off-putting to us. Who are the haves and the have-nots? The haves are those who are drawn to this kingdom, according to Jesus' economy. Um, and the have-nots are those who reject it. Which means this. The haves of this world, the beautiful the intelligent, the rich, the haves of this world are the have-nots of the kingdom of heaven. There's just no way around it when you study the Gospels. Um, so if you're here this morning, you're looking for quick spiritual fixes, you're looking for flashy eloquence, um, you're looking for elegant programs, you're looking for immediate results, you're going to be disappointed. And I want you to be disappointed. But if you're here, really here. If you're unhurried, you're attentive with the tiniest seed of faith, looking in desperation to Jesus. Then our Lord says that through you, he can move mountains. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey, could that have been the best sermon ever? Huh. The odds are strongly not in its favor. Still, thanks for listening, and be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. You can also check out our version of a preaching after party, the post-Sunday blues, a preaching post-mortem, on the same podcast feed, where you can go backstage with the sermon. Live, speak, and serve at you later.